Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to Einstein's Growth Podcast, episode 11. And today's guest is Jason M. Smith. Jason is a master of self-discipline and also a king of culture. So we will be talking about several subjects related to business, to self-discipline, to culture, defining success for organization and intervals and many other amazing topics so if you want to be successful if you want to achieve your goals this is the episode to tune in hello jason and welcome to einstein's growth podcast it's really a pleasure having you as a guest on my podcast and actually you are my guest number 11 so thank you so much for accepting my invitation. Thank you, Waleed. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you today. You and I have a lot lot to talk about and a lot in common, I think. Yes, I believe so. And Jason, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us who you are, your background, your story. Yes, sir. So I live in Texas. I live just outside of Dallas, Texas on a small ranch. And um, I have lived in Texas for six years. Prior to that, I lived in southern Utah for 14 years in the St. George area. And uh, I am a respiratory therapist uh, by trade. I've been an Air Force medic and I've worked in healthcare for about 20 years. And I recently got out of healthcare to start some other projects that I've been looking at. And uh, that, that kind of catches us up to right now. Awesome. So uh-huh. that means you have been in missions around the globe. Is that correct? I have, uh, I have, and I've actually been to your country, Morocco, which is fantastic. I love it. It's a great country. Speaking of Morocco, I'm, I'm going to, to slide out of the, the business conversation sure. and talk a little bit about Morocco. What has been your journey in Morocco? Like, h- how long have you stayed in Morocco? What have you noticed about people, about the community? So we went to, I went to Morocco about 15 years ago, and we, we flew there from Utah. That's where I was at at the time. Um, we stopped over in, uh, in Spain, I believe. Then we jumped across the water there, and uh, I believe we landed in Rabat. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and yeah. uh, we went through Agadir, and then we drove down to the, um, a town called Tantan, in the Mojave and the the Mojave Desert, not the Mojave Desert, the Sahara Desert. Sorry, I got my deserts confused. Yeah, <laughs> they're on the other side of the world from each other. Let's do. So we were in the Sahara Desert, and um, what we did there was we uh, we actually supported the uh, the Navy and the Marines were doing a live fire exercise in the desert with the Moroccan Army, and then they were doing some stuff in the Navy. But we actually went supported that so if anyone got hurt we helped them but then we then we went into town and opened a clinic up for everybody in the region to come to um and my impression of the moroccan people was i was completely blown away uh being from america not knowing a lot culturally i was amazed that all moroccans it seemed to be and you can correct me while they speak at least three languages at least Indeed, that is true. I mean, back in the day, that was like the average, but now there is an evolution, like the average Moroccan speaks around four to five languages. I'm below average, I only speak three <laughs> languages. So let me see if I can get these right. Okay, you tell me if I'm right. So they speak, they speak English, they speak French, yes. they speak Arabic, yes, indeed. and then there are some other languages 
that are local to the area, which I probably can't remember. Um, tell me, tell me the few I'm missing. Well, you got them correct, but here is the thing, like in the north and the south, they speak Spanish. So we have like the fourth language, it's Spanish, uh -huh. but like the, the, the young generation, they are more into the Asian cu culture. So like you have people who are, who are speaking Japanese, Chinese, Korean, and like, for example, my sister, she speaks a little bit of Korean. Mm -hmm. Wow. So like, yeah, <laughs> it's impressive. Yeah, that was the thing that amazed me is because I could have a conversation in English with almost anyone, but while we were talking, someone would walk up and start speaking uh, Arabic, and they would shift from English to Arabic to French. And I was like, whoa, it's really yeah. rare to see a person that can do that. And it, it just was so cool. I was like, oh, everybody in Morocco is like a genius. They can speak three languages because, you know, in America, you don't run across many people that can speak three languages unless they're a professor or a traveler or a linguist or something like that, you know? Yeah, I, I feel you. I feel you. It's one of the things that we got. We get a lot of compliments about is the ability to be able to be a little bit like polygots and majority of people, like even friends that I have, they speak at least four or five languages. And I'm always that kind of the damn person who speaks only three languages. <laughs> Well, I think three, three, you've got most Americans beat by uh, at least two, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the other interesting thing culturally, when I was in Morocco is we were, we're in a very remote area. Um, not many people have probably ever been there. Matter of fact, when we were there, we were told the last, the last American uh, military people that were there were members of General Patton's command in World War II. So it, it, it had been a long time. Um, and so, wow, that's yeah, because as you know, there was a lot of uh, activity going on in that area um, in World War II. Um, and so, when we were there, it was interesting because it was remote, but yet I would see kids wearing like a New York Yankees baseball hat. And there were kids there that looked very American. They looked like they might have stepped out of New York City, but then there was other kids that looked um, very traditional, you know. Uh, they would have the traditional uh, clothing. And I don't remember the name, but uh, there's traditional, um, it's almost like we would call it um, like a long shirt. What is that called in Morocco? Yeah. Yes. And the men wear that, you know, and uh, actually I got one of those. We went into uh, like a market and we bought those. And I thought that was the coolest thing. I still have it. It's beautiful. And what I found out, you probably know this too, that there's stitching on the front of that that uh, we were told relates to whatever region or town they're from. There's certain patterns. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, so it was weird. Uh, like, when different you were... cultures clashing like that and working together all in the same sphere, you know? Yeah, th that's really the, the most interesting part for me because as a Moroccan, I believe that we have been influenced by different cultures like we have the european culture we have the north african culture that we have the amazigh culture the middle east culture and so this created a diverse morocco and i believe it's one of the strengths of the country yeah absolutely i was surprised at like what you say the the so many influences and you you know those influences go back a long time i mean from what i could tell at least, in, I mean, you, till the 1300s, 1200s, 1100s, there's been all these different cultures in Morocco, and each one of them leaves a little bit behind. And the people have 
embraced it and stirred it up like a stew together and made this beautiful tasting mixture of this amazing culture of these people who are very uh very open to a lot of different things absolutely and you know it just reminded me of the story that you told me about the nomad nomad yes yes well uh, those were the uh are the the are the, the berbers correct yeah. yes yeah so what that was interesting too is because you have these these mixtures of different dress and different influences like i said one kid's looking very very american with this new york yankees hat on backwards and then some kids were looking very traditional um for that region and uh then you have the 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 nomads the berbers that came into our clinic and they were like fascinating because they they look like they had stepped out of the pages of a history book still wearing very traditional clothing um having tattoos on their um face and um their uh artwork beautiful artwork on the hands of the women and very unique in their culture and you don't get an opportunity to see many things like that unless you're like a explorer you know with national geographic or something like that indeed yeah so like even for us for moroccan people if we don't go and explore we cannot see such beautiful parts of our culture and like i don't know why this reminds me of the story that you told me about the goat <laughs> yeah you know it's interesting because um and i want to back up and and you said something interesting you said the beauty of the culture it's really interesting you say that because i noticed that the berber people and the nomadic i call them ancient people because i did a little research and they 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 they're a lot of these uh they don't really know where they came from because their history is so old and they have a unique language and there was a beauty about them that was so amazing and i think it's the simplicity of their life they haven't been tainted by the modern uh things that sometimes pollute our culture or pollute our minds and so those people had a purity about them that was beautiful to see um that i really appreciate and so you know you talk about the the goat story um you know when we were traveling through uh it was time for us to eat we're like in the middle of nowhere and there was a little roadside eat, eating place there and like we stopped and we got out and <laughs> i'm pretty sure that they might have gone in the back and 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 uh slaughtered a goat because it took a little while but they came back and they produced this fantastic meal on a shish kebab with the skewered goat uh it was amazing like it was a meal that you would, that you would love to have in a very expensive restaurant in say Dallas but it was right there in the middle of nowhere in Morocco uh very basic you know but the food was fantastic and the people were super gracious and I'll, I'll never forget that because we were sitting there as these US servicemen kind of joking I'm like well it's been like an hour I think they must have killed the goat and then we realized that probably happened but that's not a bad thing that's, <laughs> yeah you know, that's the natural lifestyle that existed everywhere in the world or some still some places up until 50 or 60 years ago right yeah absolutely uh, you know when I, when i talks about the goat i had an idea in mind i don't know if you know this story but the actor vin diesel when he when he came to morocco to shoot a movie what happened to him is he went to work in the desert by himself and he came across a family and their family was really poor like they they 
their own asset is one goat and he told them he told them that he is he is angry and he doesn't have anything to eat so what they did is they killed the goat and fed him he was impressed by the the kind of gesture and he said like this is one of the the greatest lessons that i have learned in life is that people who don't have anything are the one who are waiting to give you everything yeah uh the one the one one of the things that came away with the most from my visit to morocco was the graciousness of the people they were extremely kind and extremely giving and they would give us like they would offer us to come into their homes and feed us um, they would offer everything they had to us and they didn't have a lot in the place that i was at the other thing i noticed that's really interesting is even though materially they had almost nothing compared to say a person in America or s somewhere else. They were extremely happy. I probably saw more people smiling and more laughter in the three weeks I was in Morocco than probably the last three, maybe the last 13 years in America. <laughs> you know, I believe. Yeah. Honestly, like what I have noticed is that even with everything that is going either bad or good, we try to create our state of happiness. I, I don't know if it is a culture thing or it is if it is a mindset thing. I don't know honestly, but it's really fascinating how you can create your own state of happiness out of nothing. And I know you are really very much into culture, especially in yes. business. Yeah, I mean, I think the Moroccan people can teach us all a lesson of, of it really is mindset. You know, you hear a lot of business journals talk about, you know, mindset. Mindset is everything. And, and I believe that. I think the difference between people that, that say make a lot of money or are happy is their mindset. You know, um, you pretty much choose how happy you want to be or how satisfied you want to be. When I went to Morocco, I came to America and I was depressed for about a month because people were not gracious and not happy yet they had all these amazing things um i had just bought a house like two weeks before i went to morocco and it was it was the first new house we'd ever bought in our life and it was a small modest house um it wasn't anything great it was probably like 1800 square feet but when i went to morocco and i realized that that 1800 square foot where i went would probably be a palace and most people wouldn't have anything that quite that nice even close right when I came home, I felt guilty for having that house. And I felt like I was, I felt bad because I, we were so blessed in America and some of the Western countries, yet we're miserable and not happy. But the people in Morocco, they're living in a, what we would consider a very primitive state where they still have to go get uh, water every day. They have to go down to the river. They're washing things in, in, in a river and things like this. But they're very happy people and they're very satisfied. And you can see that. And that taught me a great lesson of being satisfied with what we have and to reach out and help others with, uh, you know, to with when we've been blessed with abundance, we should give that to other people. Absolutely. I mean, it's all about gratification. I don't know why, but this like made me curious. Do you think that the fact that there is some entitlement in the American culture and where you see immigrants going to the United States and they are winning? while a lot of Americans, they are whining instead of winning. Like, is there the, the, the mindset of having nothing to lose? Is it because people are not entitled? Are, they are grateful for the good and bad that makes them, like, driven to make it happen. For example, Gary yep. V. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I just read a story the other day. It's funny you bring this up, Waleed, because I read a story yesterday on uh, LinkedIn where there's a gentleman who um, he's from Nigeria. It says he's a NASCAR driver. And um, he talks about how his family came to Nigeria 20 years ago with no money. Then they were robbed when they got here um, of their money. And but yet they just bought this. It looked like probably a million dollar house somewhere. And I believe that story because when I ran my I used to run assisted livings uh, and worked in healthcare. A lot of my caregivers were from Africa, uh, Nigeria, uh, Kenya, some other countries uh, in the middle middle belt of Africa. And when they come to America, they get it. They get that there's opportunity here and they work super hard and they work two jobs. And it's not long before you're right. They are, they are winning. They're winning. They have their car paid off. They have their house paid off. And they're not whining and they do interesting things too. They will, they will pull their money together and help each other to do things like do a down payment on their house. And we don't have that in America. Uh, we have uh, sadly, I think a little bit of a culture of whining a lot more, not everybody, some people, but yes, I've always said that uh, everyone should go outside the United States to a, um, you know, what we consider a, a poorer country. Because when you come back, you realize how, how good you have it here and you won't complain as much. 100%. I agree with you. And speak like right now, I have these kind of a lot of questions that are popping in my mind right now. But I know it's a matter of time. So we are not going to go to do a lot of questions. But speaking, just speaking of, of culture, like do do you think that creating a really good culture will help businesses to to remain in and compete in the long term yeah i think culture is king um i i talk a lot about culture and and to be honest with you i've actually lost a job because of my insistence on culture because i literally uh was let go i used to do some consulting and i was building a company for some investors and i literally sat in a boardroom with them and they said you always talk about culture 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 but we want to hear more about like we want you to do more spreadsheets. We want you to have more, uh, you know, uh, financials, PL, which, which is important. You, you have to have that. I'm not discounting that. But I'll tell you this. If you focus on your spreadsheets, at some point you will fail. If you focus on your culture, you will never be stopped. Now, both of those are important. You can't have one without the other. But if I have to choose, I'm going to take culture every time because I know over the long term, culture wins because if your people are empowered and they're taken care of and they're motivated and they have a good culture, they will overcome any business op obstacle that might flow your way, like lack of capital or this problem or that problem, they'll handle it. But if you just focus on the numbers, your culture won't be there. That's true. Like culture is probably one of the biggest assets in any business that a lot of people ignore and they think it's such it's just something fancy. Yeah, I think when about. people see culture, they see that they're going to have to spend money, that they're going to have to like, uh, it sounds silly, but they're going to have to buy a ping pong table and paint the break room a different color and take trips, you know, <laughs> and do all these things. But culture is a mindset. It's like what we've been talking about. It's, it's a mindset. It's, you know, if I always believe if you really genuinely care about your team, um, I don't. I don't like to call anybody employees. I call it a team. It, we work together. You'll never hear me say that person works for me because I'm like, no, I don't. Nobody works for anybody. We work together. 
And that's how you build your team culture is you, you start by using language like that. Um, you start by working with your team uh, as an exec. I was an executive director. So basically the boss, but I never use that term boss either. That's a term that if I ever catch anyone using, I'm like, no, there's no boss here. We work together. Right. Um, but when you work with your team, you have you start that culture and you start that buy in to the culture you're creating. I love it. This is really the kind of leadership that we need more in business and like business. And you have been in, in the military. I know that the military is one of the best place, if not, if not, it's the greatest place to learn self-discipline. And I know that we need self-discipline in to have. Yeah, absolutely. Culture. I think you're right. I think, I think that self-discipline or lack of has created a lot of the problems that we see in, 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 in culture worldwide. Um, you know, it's funny you say military is the best place to learn culture. Yeah. Because if you don't learn it in the military, you won't be there long. You know, it's, it's forced upon you and you kind of either have <laughs> to adapt or you, or you, you, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't belong there basically is what, what, what happens. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for the military because it did teach me culture and it did teach me that uh, self-discipline is a good road to success. When I was in my basic training, we everybody has a flag and it has your unit number on it. And um, in the Air Force, it's called a flight and uh, your flight has a number and then a slogan. And our slogan was failure is not an option. And we took that to heart and we printed on our T-shirts and everything else. To this day, I still think of that when I'm doing something like failure is not an option. It's not an option. And when it's not an option, what your only other option left is to succeed, right? Yes. Not only this, but also you, you, you start programming your mind to find ways to do it, to find solutions, and you became solution-oriented. Yeah, I love what you say there because, you know, programming your mind is is something that's that's vital and I think we touched on this a little earlier, but it's the key to success. You know, you can work super hard and have all the right things, but if your mind's not right, you're not going to be successful. And on the other side of that, you can, I've seen people that don't even work as hard as other people and don't have the greatest things, but their mindset is great and they're successful. It all starts between the ears, you know, and the six inches between your ears is where I say it, the, the magic happens. Absolutely. I mean, we are what we think. And we exactly. think what we are, you know, and, and, you know, you hear people talk a lot about the law of attraction and, you know, there was also a big, there's, there's books written about it. There was the movie, the secret and all that stuff. I think that's true because um, you do attract what you're putting out. And I think even you and I meeting is interesting because, you know, on LinkedIn, you have maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of connections, but really you might only have 30 that you really connect with. And I think that's because you attract that by what you're thinking and what you're doing. Like for instance, you and I connected over a love of books uh, and we talked about books and growth and then something funny, the rain, we both like the rain, you know, <laughs> right? Everybody who's lived in a desert yeah. loves the rain, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but really, you know, you attract that. So, so, you know, in a business sense, if you're, if you're constantly looking for culture, you're going to find culture or you're going to create culture. If you're constantly looking for capital, you're going to find capital and create it. If you're constantly looking for, uh, you know, being able to scale your company, you're going to scale your company and grow it. So it's what you're looking for. 
a lot of times we look for what we don't want, which is dangerous because if we're like, Oh, I don't want to go bankrupt. You probably will go bankrupt because you're, you're thinking about that all the time. hundred percent. And this just reminded me, reminded me of me of a post, one of your posts on LinkedIn when you were on a vacation and they sent team. So they asked, they started asking the team, what is wrong? And they started listening everything. Yeah, you know, I had an wrong. interesting experience. I, I was on vacation, and then while I was on vacation, uh, a person who was in a lateral position of mine, another executive director, they came to my building to there's you know they're supposed to be there for management, but they started asking everybody what's wrong with the building, and of course they found all these problems with the building and the uh, <laughs> and everything that was going on, and they they kind of compiled all their findings. <laughs> And then when I came back, they were like, hey, Jason, we started talking to people while you were out and we found all these problems. And, and I listened to all the problems. And then when they were finished, they said, what do you have to say about that? And I said, I'm not surprised. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm not surprised because you found what you were looking for. And they were like, well, what do you mean by that? I was like, you were looking for problems. So you found problems. I said, why didn't you ask my staff what was right with the building? Because if you would have asked them what was right with the building, you would have found all the right things. And, and at the end of the day, it's just what you're looking for. You know, totally different outcome with a, with a little, a little twist yeah. on the end. What's wrong or what's right? Totally different outcomes, almost the same question. Yes. And again, it, it's part of the culture. Like the, the corporations have been shaped to always look for what is wrong instead of for what is right. And it did lead us to yeah, you know, such it's, behaviors. It's you say that because, um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to work for work privately, to work by myself and to work for major, major corporations in my industry. I've worked in the senior care industry, running assisted livings and, you know, hospice companies, home health. Uh, and uh, memory care, most of that is is looking at statistics or looking at operations and saying, what's wrong? What can we fix? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. You definitely need people like that in your business. And I want people like that on my team that can look at a spreadsheet, that can look at a P&L statement and say, what's wrong with this? You know, where's their return on investment? Where's, where are all these things? But it's interesting when you start focusing on that, you're absolutely right. You build a culture that leans in that direction. And it makes me wonder what would happen if you flipped that and you built a company that only looks for what's right with the organization and right with the team. I'm not sure that's been done very much in, in the workforce. And I'm sure that there are some examples of that. And hopefully people listening to this can say, oh, you're wrong, Jason. Here's this company that does that. Because I think that company would be wildly successful. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yes. I believe Apple, Amazon, they are doing it. That, that's one of, because they built one of the greatest cultures in the business. So probably it's one yeah, of the absolutely. secrets of I their mean, success. I think, I think behind any great company, you're definitely going to have to have great culture. Um, sometimes, sometimes not. I mean, I think we've seen the opposite of that. I mean, we've seen like the, like Enron is a perfect example of that. You know, Enron's this monster company that's making billions of dollars. Yeah but their culture was bankrupt, you know? And, and that's kind of what I meant earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, it, and it, hap like, it, it just happened in Germany, like in, in 2020, it was the same story again, like Enron, and it happened yeah, in Germany and, 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 in 2020. And it's focused on the, the bottom line. Like I said, you have to be focused on the bottom line of the company. If you don't, you won't go, you won't, you won't be in business long. But I don't believe that culture 
and bottom line have to be mutually exclusive. I actually think that they can mesh well together and they do, but, but you're right. I mean, the, that, that Enron type of uh, cycle seems to be perpetuated in business. Absolutely. So Jason, I'm really curious, how can someone teach, teaches himself discipline and to become a master of self-discipline? Because I believe it's a must for anyone who yeah, wants I to think, succeed uh, in business. I think that I, for me, I like to keep it really simple. And I think you have to pick out simple areas in your life that you want to work on and then make small changes daily. Um, I used to run marathons and uh, I still run. I, I, I try to run a few, but I haven't run as much. I spent about a 10-year period of my life where I ran uh, a lot of marathons. But that taught me the disciplines because one of the disciplines is gradually increasing your miles because, uh, you know, you have to run long runs. On a Saturday, you'll get up and early and run. Say you start out running like maybe your long run is seven miles. Then the next week, you might go seven and a half and then eight and then nine and then 10 until you build up to 20 miles. But you can't go from running seven miles to 20 miles because you'll get injured or you'll be fatigued and you'll quit. I think the same thing about habits. If you want to get up early and you're getting up at nine and you're, you want, you know, if you try to set your alarm for four in the morning, it's probably setting yourself up for failure. So maybe try to get up at eight 30. And once you've mastered that for a week, set your alarm for eight o'clock and then just keep rolling it back because there's a magic space in there that once you do that a few times, and you get to say seven in the morning, then you can set your alarm for say five and you can get up because you're teaching your brain that whatever you tell yourself, you can do it. 100%, it's, it's more about building the habit of doing it instead of just the goal, but more of the, the process. This, this, you know, this reminds me of something that you wrote on LinkedIn about be yourself. That post is, is something I really resonate with a lot because the, 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 the advice of telling someone just be yourself is a yeah, very dangerous I mean, advice. You hear a lot of, there's a lot of pop, what I, is I consider pop psychology out there where people are like, just be yourself and love yourself and do all this stuff and be happy with who you are. And I'm like, well, what if, what if I weigh 380 pounds and I'm five foot 10? You might, you literally might be in a dangerous place in your life. And I'm not trying to judge anybody for their weight. I mean, I weigh more than I should weigh right now. But I also know that I need to lose that weight. So if if somebody says just be yourself, I mean, you know, if I'm just being myself, I might like to sit on the couch and eat pizza all day. That's not going to be very productive if I do that for years and years, if I'm eating pizza and watching Netflix all day. But people would say if, if you're embracing just be yourself, that might be dangerous. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes absolute sense because, you know, like when I was back in, in depression, what I did to, to get rid of depression, I started listing the, the names of the people that I really admire. Yeah. People like Steve Jobs, like uh, Seth Golden, Simon Sinek, and everyone. So what I did is, for example, Steve, what do I admire about Steve Jobs? I did write down everything. All right, what can I learn to do that? And like I started mixing between things that, and traits that I love about every one of them and learning them and implement them in my own life. And it has been so beneficial to me. It helped yeah, me a lot. I think that's super wise. And I think that that's, if I remember in that post, 
that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like is, you know, I think it's okay. People say, be yourself. And I'm like, well, if I look at myself, I'm, I'm not where I want to be. So I need to look up to people that I admire. And it's exactly what, it's exactly what you're saying because I take little bits from everybody. It doesn't mean you have to embrace that other per that person. Like I used to do this a lot early in my life where I'd, I'd look at a person like Steve Jobs and be like, oh, he's a genius and he made a lot of money, but he's a jerk. So I'm not going to like him. Right. Or this person, or she has yeah. this flaw or he has this flaw. Yeah. But now I just look at him and say, okay, Steve Jobs was creative genius. I'd like to be like that. I don't care about the rest of it. I take that piece from him. And then I take that piece from her. And I take this piece from this person. Um, you know, Michael Jordan is a perfect example of that. Michael Jordan is one of the most beings on the planet. His success is unbelievable, but he's not a good teammate to have. <laughs> if, if you want to win, he's a great guy. But if you wanted to hang out with him, he's not yeah. a great guy. And in practice, you know, he'll probably yeah. kill you if you make a mistake. But you think, you, you know, and I love Michael Jordan. So I yeah, take that competitive absolutely. from Jordan. I'm like, I love that about Michael Jordan. Some of the other stuff, maybe not. Doesn't mean Michael Jordan's a bad person. That's just how he's wired. And so I think it's healthy to challenge ourselves to do that with other people and take little pieces and build our own guru, so to speak. Absolutely. Uh, this this is how I have been trying to build myself because the thing is like before I used to try like to copy paste like the best and the worst of every person. And that wasn't good. Like at one point of your life, you start noticing yeah. it's not yeah, really. So you. I think I think we can kind of come full circle with all this when you say be yourself because you are you. You are a Walid. You have unique talents and things you've overcome in your life that nobody knows but you. You have thoughts in your head that nobody only knows but you. And you have to build that person to the best version of Walid that they can build, right? But it's there's there's nothing wrong with adding those little things from people that you really admire because that's how we get stronger. And that's why I love the great stories of great men and women all over the world, because we can take from them and we can learn from their experiences. doesn't mean we have to be exactly like them, but it builds us. And I think it builds them. It builds their legacy as well. Absolutely. So, you know, you know, the, the, the funny thing, I don't know, like when you were talking about this, I was smiling because I loved what you were saying. And just the fact that I was smiling, my head thought of the, the word happy. And when I thought about the word happy, it reminded me about your philosophy, <laughs> happy, have a plan yesterday. And yeah, because here's the thing, what I have noticed about myself is when I don't have a plan, I feel lost. Uh, I don't, I, I'm going to be wasting my time. And when I when I saw that, I was oh, this makes sense. This is why when when I don't have a plan, I'm wasting my day on some non stuff, nonsense, nonsense stuff, or some activities that are not yeah, I, good uh, for you my know, business. It's funny you bring that up. I'd forgotten about that, but you're right. I developed this little. I wrote a post about it. I, I developed this little thing called Happy. It's spelled H A P Y, and it stands for Have a Plan Yesterday. And for me, that's how I stay happy because I'm just like you. If I don't have a plan, I'm not, I'm miserable. And I'm very uh, detail oriented. Like I'm, I'm kind of like the person that has to know exactly what time things happen and where I'm going and all these kind of things. So have a plan yesterday keeps me happy and it keeps me happy H-A-P-Y. And so, you know, hopefully somebody listening can do that. 
Um, cause it, it really works. If you wake up and you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to be happy. At least I'm not going to be, maybe you are. And if you are good for you, but for me, it drives me crazy. <laughs> the same here, like completely the same thing. Like what I do is I schedule my days with, with like, I mean, to the smallest details with minutes. And if I have five minutes or 10 minutes that are empty, I, I, I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Like, I, I sometimes I even get over, overwhelmed and stressed just yeah, by that you know, because I, think, I have um, some free time. I spent a long time in that that mode because I'm very, very analytical, time-driven on that type of – on my time. I'm very crazy about my time. But I've learned – and I'm, I'm probably a little – I know I'm a little bit older than you <laughs> as, as, time has, as the time has gone on. I've learned that when you have those little moments, it's okay to maybe, I mean, I used to do this in my office, shut the door, lay down on the floor, prop your feet up for 15 minutes and think, clear your mind, think, meditate, pray, whatever you like to do, visualize. It's okay to do that in those spaces where we're empty. And I think sometimes in our culture, because we have a cell phone in our hand all the time, what happens if I have an extra 15 minutes? Oh, let's go see what's going on on LinkedIn. Let's go see what's going on on Facebook. Let's check the news. And then that doesn't give you a break mentally. It doesn't fulfill you as much as just closing your eyes and deep breathing and visualizing how I how my success should be, how I want how I want the world to look when I go home and meet my spouse, my significant other, my children, whatever. Um, visualizing those things leads to peace and success. Hundred percent. And this is something that I need yeah, to work a on a lot. It's a tough thing because you know, obviously like, you're very driven and driven people go ahead. have a hard time with that, um, with letting go and taking a, 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 a brief second, you know, a brief second to reset. That's true. You know, you know speaking of this, uh, the last Tuesday I had like one of the worst days, mm. I would say even in a year, like completely one of the worst days ever. And I was so pissed off. I tried to meditate and everything. And you know, you know th th those days that you wake up and you are not feeling it, and shit happens, and it keeps happening. At one point, you you say to yourself, "I wish I could just go sleep, yeah. clear my mind," and it doesn't happen. Like, and when I was scrolling through your LinkedIn, I I did read your yeah. story. You might have to refresh me on it uh, on 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 that one because some, I I write every day and sometimes I don't remember um, what was the one the one that you wake up feeling like crap and you did re, like you did uh, remember yes. Melly yes, uh, Mel Robbins okay, so about her for those of you who don't know Mel rules. Robbins she's a an American uh, writer now a motivational speaker she has some TEDx talks out there uh, she. Uh, I believe used to be uh, a, a host of some type of television program, but she talks in her life about, she says, you're never going to feel like doing something that's uncomfortable. And I love that. That was the first time that I heard that because sometimes we're always taught, just do it, just grind it out, you know, get up and go do it. You know, you got to do it. You know, you have these motivational people like uh, Tony Robbins and uh, Eric Thomas and Jocko Wilnick and all these these people that are like, oh, just do it. And you know, sometimes you just don't feel like that. So what Mel teaches is that you count five, four, three, two, one. And then that shifts your brain into a different thinking pattern. It's a clinical thing, but then you get up and do it. And she uses it to get up out of bed. And she uses it to do something like if she's walking on stage 
or she, she used it to have an uncomfortable conversation. And what I found is she is absolutely right. If you're laying in the bed and you don't want to get up and you say five, four, three, two, one, and you get up, it works. It resets your brain. It's a fantastic little life hack that is, is, is great. She has a talk on a TEDx talk on that, by the way, too. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of her work. Like, I don't know if you have seen her interview with Lewis Howes when she was talking about yeah, how she, she came talks across about the five seconds rules. Off, right? And the countdown to the rocket. And so, you know, yeah. five, four, three, two, one, yeah. then the rocket has this giant explosion into action. And so that's what she looks at or thinks about when she says the five, four, three, two, one. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I actually it's really My wife and I get up and go on a run every morning. And my wife was just, just super tired. Um, and, you know, she has a demanding job. And uh, I, I had gotten up and I told her, I said, five, four, three, two, one, just say it. And she's like, I can't. <laughs> and I was like, say it. And she finally said it. And then she got up. And, you know, funny, because usually she's the one that she's pretty good about getting up. But uh, it works. It really works. Yeah, it works. And, you know, like the thing is, back to my yeah, story, yeah. story to, to the last Tuesday when I had that shitty day, I had the, I had the shitty day. Yeah. You know, Wednesday, 4 a.m. morning, I'm still working. Like Wednesday, 4 a.m., I'm still working. I didn't sleep. And the next day, on Wednesday, I had some really amazing news. What I have learned from that Tuesday is it's not about how you feel, even though sometimes you feel like, you should give up on that day. But the truth is, just keep going. Even Absolutely. if you don't feel Amazing like it. Amazing things happen when you just keep going. And sometimes that's all you can do is take one more step and then one more step and then one more step. And, uh, you know, I, I've run a few ultra races, which is a mileage exceeding um, usually 30 miles. And I have had places where I literally just want to lay down in the road and die. <laughs> I'm like... I'm like, I can lay down the road and die and I'm dying happy <laughs> because I'm not, I'm not running anymore. It hurts. I feel sick. <laughs> I, I just don't want to be here. It's hot. It's cold. I want to lay down the road and die. I don't care if a car hits me. I don't care if buzzards come and get me. I'm just okay. But I've learned to play a little trick on my, my mind. And I say, I can just take a few more steps. And then I take a few more steps. And what I do when I run is if I'm having a really bad running day, like you're having a bad day at, uh, you know, just in life or business is I look at tiny little victories. Like I'll look ahead and I see like a tree and I'll say, I'm going to run to that tree and then I'll walk. But sometimes I get to that tree and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to run to the next tree. And sometimes I'm like, by the time I get to the third tree, I'm like, Oh, I feel good enough to keep running. And and so that has worked for me to set little goals like that. Even at the workplace, I'll say, I feel like crap. I don't want to be here, but I'm going to work for 15 minutes and I'm going to take a break. And sometimes I don't need the break. Sometimes I still take the break. You know, this is really interesting what you just said, because we are addicted to scoring goals. Our, our brain is really programmed to hit goals. And the more that we hit the goals, the more we want to do more of them because dopamine makes us addicted to hitting goals. And a lot of people say it's not a good name, but yeah, I think goals are I don't important. Know, for I me, it if works. you don't have goals, me. you don't know where you're going. And, uh, you know, you're right. Our brains are hardwired for goals and rewards. And, uh, you know, that's another thing. You know, we, we, we talk about making a schedule, but I think you have to set goals 
And, uh, you know, goals are a really, it's probably a bigger topic than you and I can get into. And there's probably, there's a lot of people a lot better at that than I, but I like to keep my goals very simple because what I, what I found out works for me is I set maybe three or four goals that are big yearly goals, but I arrange them in ways that I have to develop disciplines to get to those goals. Like, like one goal that I recently set, and I'm scared to say it on the podcast because now I'm accountable for it is I want to run a 100 mile race by the end of this year. So I've never run a one. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Wow. So, and just to That's, give. Yeah. But now, <laughs> but, but here is the thing. Now you have said this publicly. I know. So it means you are going to be accountable for doing it. The background. I'm pretty overweight right now from my running weight where I need to be. So I've got to lose a significant amount of weight. I've got to tweak my diet. I've got to get into a regimen of working out and doing my long runs. And I'm starting a new business. But that goal of 100 miles will force me to do other things in my life, like my goal of eating right, like my goal of cutting out sugar and cutting out uh, gluten from my diet, um, cutting my carbs down, getting up early reading because I have to have a strong mind to do that and then getting my business in, in shape because, you know, that's going to take me some time to train. So my business, I have to work harder in my business now that I've set that goal. So all of my other goals, I don't set them, but they flow into that one big goal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of accountability, I have like two last questions. So why is oh, I love accountability have partners. accountability um, partner? I think it's going back to what you just said about having a crappy day. Um, you know, I'm not Superman. I'm not uh, David Goggins, uh, who I think both of us love. We've, we've shared, we've talked about him. You know, he's that kind of guy. It's like, just do it. And he's going to, you know, David Goggins will yeah. go out and run a hundred miles at the drop of a hat, you know? Um, but he's a very disciplined person. And, because I'm not David Goggins, I have to have an accountability partner to get me through those tough days. And for me, it's my wife. Um, and you can have other people in business. I mean, I, you know, I would say, honestly, I would, I wouldn't have a problem if somebody DM me and said, Hey, would, would you hold me accountable for this? Um, I'd be like, sure. I'd be happy to, because I know one of my core values in life, core principles is to help other people be successful. So if I can help somebody just by giving them a call and saying, Hey, how you doing? That's, that's powerful. Um, because you can't always do that yourself because you have, sometimes we have negative self-talk. We, we all like to think that we would conquer that, but we still do. I have it. I mean, it's, it's constant. I have to fight it. Yeah. So uh, I'm going Absolutely. to ask you, like, would you I'd be my to. accountability partner? I would love that. I would love that you have you as my accountability partner. That would be like fire bringing fire well, it would be cool inside to me, me even to, to work like harder and harder i was talking to my wife last night i was like hey i'm gonna be on a podcast with this uh gentleman from morocco and she's like what and and we were started talking about when i went to morocco it was like 15 years ago and and how old our kids were and i said hey it's like full circle for me because i never would have imagined i would be talking to somebody again on a podcast 15 years later after i visited morocco because I love Morocco and I always want to go back and I just connected so much with the people and then it was gone. So now it's fun to bring that back into my life. So absolutely, my friend. I appreciate that. So Jason, my last question. So I am a strange is, person how can because people I don't reach do a lot of you? social media other than LinkedIn. Um, I used to, but I cut that out of my life to be a little more focused. 
Um, they can find me on LinkedIn, Jason M. Smith. Uh, and I would love to connect with anybody. Um, I'm always, I'm not selling anything on LinkedIn. I just love to connect with people. And I post a daily observation. I don't know what, I don't know what you'd call them. Sometimes they're business, sometimes they're life, but it's just my thoughts. And I post those every day, but Sunday on Sunday, I rest. Uh, but, uh, I'd love to connect with as many people as I can. I love people. I appreciate that because I love your, the content that you are pushing out. There are f- some kind of philosophy that we can apply in business and in our personal life. And it's so simple. It doesn't require to be yeah, complicated. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm a simple person. And bring I love value people. I love business. And I love the pursuit of living life uh, fully, intently, and, and, peace, and, and uh, peacefully. I like peace in my life. And I like to hopefully uh, help people get to more peace in their life. Well, I appreciate you. I thank I you so much for very allowing much. me to be on your podcast. And you know, um, you're doing a great thing. You're you're a fantastic person that uh, I connected with right off the bat because I going back to that law of attraction and vibe that we put out. I could feel the vibe of a person who wants to make the world a better place, who is who is passionate about learning, who is passionate about helping other people. And that's why I connected with you. And I think that's why your listeners connect with you. And that's why you're building a great uh, a brand, I think, of you and what you're doing that's, that's going to have a lot of positive impact of people when they hear your story.